How's, is everybody feeling good? You can make a noise, you can say I'm happy, you know. Worship doesn't have to stop when worship stops. <laughs> Does it make sense? You can keep expressing your joy and your love for the Lord and thankfulness and smiles or whatever. So go ahead and uh, just do a little test, a test expression. Go ahead. I love meetings when, when it's just wild and chaotic and just out of control. <laughs> For me, that's the divine chaos. You know, it's just the, the perfect moment. Um, did, did everyone have fun last night? Yes. Good. I know I threw a million things at you all at once and going a million miles an hour and just, I don't know, it's a, it was sort of an introduction to what this school is all about. You're in school. Here we are. So this is a school, it's not a conference, it's not a meeting. This is where we're just drinking deeply. It's actually a chance for me to, to get to express and teach for hours and just talk and talk and talk and talk and never have to shut up. So that's great, huh? Because when I start, I can't stop. It's like a passion in me. Um, my wife and I are just possessed by the message of the gospel, <laughs> by the glad message of the glory of the happy God. And uh, we just want to share it and, and express it and communicate it, you know. And uh, we're asking for help from the Lord to help us communicate it because it's so radical. <laughs> it's so wild. Sometimes it's, you know, it's so um, different from what we've known as believers as Christianity. Um, most of what we've known as, as Christianity is chalked up to being orphans. Orphanage. <laughs> it's not Christianity, it's an orphanage. And what God wants to do is give us a revelation, give us this confidence to believe and trust that we're sons and we're daughters. Yeah? Yabu. That we're sons and we're daughters, we're not slaves, we're not beggars, that we're kings and, and queens. And I mean, I'm not a queen, of course, but. <laughs> That we're sons, that we're not separate from him, that he's not far away, that he's with us. Yeah. Uh, that it is true when he said, behold, I'm with you always. I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. <laughs> yeah! Yes, my man. He's, he's with us. What can we do? What are we supposed to, what can we do? What can we say? What can we, just, what's that? Love him, just enjoy him, love him. Just smile and act happy. <laughs> Oh man! So I, I sort of introduced what we, you know, what we teach last night a little bit. And um, if you didn't see me open my Bible, it's just because I'm constantly quoting stuff to you. And uh, I love the Word. Everybody loves the Word, right? The Word, brother. The Word is awesome. And in fact, um, did you know that there's over 125, 126 translations of the, the scriptures in the English language? So we're so blessed, and I personally, in my library at my home, I have 120, just over 120 uh, different translations. Shock, shock, shock. And I love the scripture. I love so. You know, if you've ever read, you know, King James for the for your whole life, and you just get super bored by it, maybe you should sniff around for a new translation. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I always laugh at the King James only crowd because King James is so funny. Some of the things in the King James, 
Like, like I, I'm going to make this t-shirt, right, that says, like, I believe in unicorns. And it's going to have a big unicorn on it, and it's going to say KJV, right? <laughs> because it says in the KJV that the unicorns will come leaping from the mountains. I was like, yes! I knew unicorns were real! I knew it! So if you ever have, like, a discussion with the KJV only, you'd be like, dude, I love unicorns as well. Go! Right on, man. We can totally agree. There's also another thing. What is the um, half goat, half man? What is that called? Yeah. Yeah, something like that. That's also in there. <laughs> so cool. Awesome. So anyways, there's so much, you know, just as my wife and I, we devoted our lives to, you know, expressing this good news through whatever, touring, music, making records, um, teaching schools, the translators of these scriptures have also devoted, that was their life, they devoted their whole heart to translating these scriptures, and some of the perspectives are brilliant. Has anyone ever read the, from the Amplified Bible? Did you know it was translated by a woman? Her name is Frances, Frances Seward, and that's, that explains why it's so long and loud, and it just goes over and over, and just, it doesn't shut up, it's just like, Right, so, <laughs> it's evidence. So the Amplified Bible is, a, is brilliant. It's a brilliant piece of translation. Also, there's another translation that I love to quote out of. It's called the uh, St. Paul from the Trenches. And it's translated by a guy named Gerald Cornish, who was part of the Great War, which I think is the First World War. And he was a Greek scholar who was drafted into the army, and he actually translated these scriptures. He was just possessed by the scriptures, just couldn't, you know, stop. So he's in the trenches. That's why it's called St. Paul from the trenches. He's in the trenches, and he's translating, and it stops abruptly in Ephesians because he died in the trenches. And someone actually walked and found the manuscript in blood and, and mud, and they picked it up. Imagine the treasure that that is. Isn't that brilliant? And I'm telling you, it's, it is outrageous. It's awesome. There's another one called George Barker. It's uh, George Barker Stevens is a translator, and he's from 1898. And um, he sort of says things in a really interesting way. Um, he says that we're dependent, passive instruments. Like when the, the Apostle Paul is talking about um, going into the third heaven, and you know, you've heard that scripture before. I think it's Second Corinthians, First Corinthians 12, something like that. I don't know where the reference is, but he says that we're just dependent, passive instruments of the Lord. <laughs> and I love that because to me that describes this possession that we're taking part of, you know. Like if you can be possessed by the devil, how much more can you be possessed by Jesus? Hello? So, so this is the possession. We, I mean, we, we're singing the songs, the same thing. All we have is yours. You are our existence. You know, we want everything we have is you. <laughs> well, that's called possession. Hello. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 13, it says, if we are out of our minds, it's for God's sake, right? Which is really cool. Because the word out of our minds, it means like if we're in ecstasis, if we're in ecstasy, if we're beyond our senses, it is for God. <laughs> so I read another translation, the Weist translation. He says that it's with respect to God. So, you know, if you walk into a meeting and there's chaos and everybody's laughing and shaking like banshees and whatever, you know, wildebeest running around, whatever it is. 
It's they're just respecting the Lord. <laughs> they can't be Brother, where's the respect? Show me a little respect. There it is. So if we're out of our minds, it's respect to God because we've come to a conclusion. That's what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 13. There's something that hit the Apostle Paul that made him lose his marbles, that just overcame him. And, I mean, you think about the Apostle Paul. He self, pretty much by himself, started the first century church, traveled three missionary journeys around the, the uh uh, Eurasia and Asia and Turkey and Greece and ended up in Rome. I mean, planting churches, preaching the gospel. This guy was passionate, my man. Shock, bridge. He was passionate about something and something very, very specific. It wasn't that he was just felt called by a sense of duty to go tell everybody about the gospel, to save everybody from hell. That wasn't his passion. His passion, it says that he was convinced, he came to a conclusion that if one has died on the behalf of all, then all have died with him. <laughs> and this possession, that's what it says. If we're out of our minds, it's respect to God. If, it's, if we're in our sober senses, it's for your sake, for we have come to this conclusion. You know, this, the love of God has overcome us, possesses us. The Greek word in that scripture is suneko, and it means, um, it's used multiple times in scripture and in history throughout the Greek literature. One is when, uh, like the King James says, for the love of God, constraineth, constraineth, say it with me, constraineth, it constraineth us, and it sounds kind of constricted, you know, it sounds like just this love is, I don't know, it's, it's kind of, um, yeah, and the true word is suniko. It means like uh, one of the, the definitions is um, the farmer is forcing the beast into a position where he, he can administer medication. <laughs> I love that definition. That was cool. So there's also, it's used in a strait when a ship goes into a strait or of a besieged city. Imagine you are a besieged city and the only influence that's coming in is the Lord. The only in. <laughs> the only import you have is that's what this word means. And, um, the Weiss translation says, For the love of God presses me on all sides, holding me to one end, prohibiting me from considering any other, wrapping himself around me in tenderness, giving me an impelling motive, namely that if one has died on the behalf of all, then all have died. Wow. Woo! It's so good. The love of God, what's it doing? Pressing me on all sides. <laughs> Brother, we're afraid of experiential Christianity. This is what Christianity is. It's experiential. You're supposed to experience His presence. You're supposed to experience the pressing on all sides. <laughs> yeah, the love of God right now, whether you believe it or not, is pressing you on all sides. Holding you to one end. Prohibiting you from considering anything else or anyone else. Wrapping himself around you in his glorious tenderness. <laughs> and this is it. This is it. This is the conclusion. He wants to give you this glorious conclusion. That's going to keep you possessed by this love. It's my alarm. I have like a million alarms. So I don't know why. I'm going to turn them off. He wants to bring you to this conclusion that if, that if one has died, then all have died with him. The gospel can be summed up in that. It's a declaration that we have died with Christ 
we have been buried, all that separated us from him, sin, sickness, disease, guilt, shame, was buried in the grave with Yeshua. <laughs> and when he rose again, we rose in newness, in anachinosis, in a new kind, in a new sphere of life. And for me, that is the epitome of the gospel, is to declare this to every single creature on earth, every person I meet, is to tell them that they have been crucified, that they have been buried, and they have been, have been resurrected in newness of life. And they can agree with that. They can trust in that. You see, what we like to do is we like to make it about our faith instead of about, our, about the grace of God. But faith is simply the agreement with the grace of God. Understand, faith is agreeing with reality. Faith is trusting in something that's already happened. Faith is trusting in the ability of someone else. But we think faith is, like, oh, it's my faith, brother. I got my faith. Oh, yeah. You can't have faith in yourself. You can only have faith in someone else. In fact, I dare you to try to have faith in something that's unfaithful. So I'm trying to explain to you that it's our faith with God is based on his faithfulness. Like a marriage, for instance. Marriage is a beautiful example, right? Um, because my wife has always been faithful, she's always been loving and true to and I with her, that trust comes naturally. It's not like I have to work up trust or really just push it out, you know. Ben, what are you doing? I'm just trying to trust you, Stephanie. I just, oh. No, it's just the fact that you're trying to trust shows that you don't trust. It shows that it's not trust. But my trust in her is based on her trustworthiness. So she actually gives me the ability to trust her by her faithfulness. Does that make sense? The same with God, by his faithfulness, because he's always been faithful. He is faithfulness. He is true. He is love. He is grace. Because of who he is, because he's always been faithful to us, we have the ability. He gives us the ability to trust him. And it's not a work of our own. I love Ephesians chapter 2, right? You've been saved by grace. Full stop. Everybody say full stop. Ephesians chapter 2. We have been saved by grace. Stop! There, stop. <laughs> and then he repeats it again in another verse later on. We have been saved by grace through the outworking of faith. Doesn't stop. And this too is not of yourselves. What too? The faith that it takes to trust in the grace of God is also not of yourselves. See, it reminds me think, okay, God went halfway and I go halfway. It's like we meet in the middle somewhere. That's not salvation. That's a contract. <laughs> salvation is you were lost. You were dead. You were gone. You were in the grave. We were full of guilt, full of shame, full of darkness. And he ripped us out of the hell. He ripped us out of hell and planted us in the heavenlies with him. By his grace, without our efforts, without our work. Well, brother, I have to stay in that place. He sustains us. The same hand that lifts you sustains you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I get excited. Don't take away my work, brother. It's like such a scandalous gospel because you know what it does? It immediately rips the glory of man. It rips any glory that you can have in your own self, in your own being, in your own you know, work. <laughs> it just totally annihilates it. And it gives all the glory to the Lord. What a great gospel. 
<laughs> I love the gospel. So good. And it's scandalous. The Apostle Paul called it the rock of offense. The, the scandalon. The, the, the stumbling block. Chips everybody up. That's what it is. It's the stumbling block. The Greek word, the rock of scandalon, Greek, is where we get our transliterated word scandal. <laughs> it's a divine scandal. Well, why is it a scandal? Well, because in our minds we think we can do it, we can handle it, we can put the puzzle pieces together, we can figure this out. He's given us a new start, and I'm going to do it right this time. <laughs> Christianity is not a new start, my friends. It's a new kind of existence. It's a resurrected life. <laughs> free of everything that was old. Free of, of old mindset, free of thoughts, free of shame. The problem happens is when we try to bring all that baggage into the new life and it just cannot coexist. <laughs> it cannot coexist. God won't share his glory with your past. Because he's taking care of it once and for all. There's one thing, you know, one time in scripture where Paul talks to us and tells us to look back. And it's not at our sinfulness. It's not a, a you know, to, to break off the curses and the shame and all the devils and whatever it is. I don't know, all this weird stuff. He says, look back. He says, when you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And he's taking us back to this place. He, he tells us to remember Yeshua and his Sacrifice. He tells us to remember nothing of our own past. But when we see, we remember that Yeshua was on the tree of Calvary, that my shame was on the tree of Calvary, that I was with him, that actually shared his death. Ow! Romans chapter 6. Don't you know that when Christ was crucified, you were crucified with him, you were co crucified. Co, co, co. Mmm. Mmm. <laughs> Crucified. <laughs> well, brother, it's a daily process. <laughs> process. There's only a few things. If, if I figured out if it's processed, it's baloney, right? It's just, it's made up, it's formulaic. <laughs> it's not real. Yeah. This is the process. One nail here, one nail here, and one nail there on his, on his feet. That was the process that set you free for eternity. <laughs> and there's a working out of it, of course. The working out of it is me telling you and you believing. <laughs> or someone else persuading you. Or the gospel itself. You know, reading the scriptures and letting the scriptures persuade you. You don't have to believe me. <laughs> Figure it out on your own. But there is a persuasion. There's a divine persuasion that's happening in this room right now. And he's trying to persuade you that you are worthy, that you are one, that you're lacking nothing, that you are without spot, that you're without blemish. <sighs> Beyond your experience. Well, I just kicked my dog 10 minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> People always ask me, Ben, if this is true, if this is true, right? So mark that, if this is true. So obviously you show that you don't believe it yet. But if this is true, why am I still sinning? And I would say, man, because you're just stupid. <laughs> I don't know, you tell me, stop. Stop sinning, just stop. 
And like we think that there's this massive formula for you know self-help program in the scriptures. And the Apostle Paul, this is his practical advice for people who are in sin. He says, stop. <laughs> so stop sinning. That I love that verse. <laughs> stop. Based on what? Based on you're not a sinner anymore. And what we're called to do is just give that reality to people. How do we do that? By hanging out with them, talking with them, showing up with them. You know, hey, just, I mean, what about addicts, Ben? What about, you know, I don't know, what about prostitutes? What about all this stuff, all this experiential stuff? Yeah, what about it? <laughs> if no man ever experienced what the word said is true, does that make it not true? No. It's still true, is it not? Even if no one ever experienced it, is it still true? Yeah. Okay, so what happens is that we actually put the, we put the cart before the horse. <laughs> you trust in the gospel, and the gospel will start manifesting. It will start doing what it says it, it, it does. You know, it's not, it's not well, if, if this is true, why am I Maybe I'm still a sinner. I don't know. You have to be persuaded. You have to come to that conclusion, as the Apostle Paul came to that conclusion, that if one has died, then all have died with him. You have to come to that conclusion for yourself that you have been crucified with Jesus. That everything has separated you. Everything, all the sinfulness, all the darkness, all the shame, all the curse, all the devils, all the wildebeests, whatever it is that you think that is holding you back, whatever it is, everything has been nailed to Jesus and buried in the grave and you've been resurrected as a new creation. <laughs> and then you'll start experiencing it. And then experience just starts happening. You realize that, like I said last night, love just starts happening. The fruit of the Spirit just starts popping out of you. You know, you think about a vineyard. The vines don't look like they're trying that hard. It's like that's just what they do. So fruit is just what you do. It's the fruit of His presence within you, the fruit that He's accomplishing within you. Yeah. C.S. Lewis said that the the easiest things in life are done the worst when we try hard to do them. <laughs> I really try to love my mom. <laughs> Mamas are easy to love, you know, it's, it's, it should come natural to us, it should come, you know, from this pure, sweet spot, <laughs> but it comes from the conclusion, from the persuasion that you have been crucified with Jesus, that there's nothing left, otherwise he's an imperfect savior, are you willing to say that, are we really, really willing to say that, that what he did wasn't, is God perfect? Is Yeshua God? Did he give a perfect sacrifice? For a perfect purpose? And what was that purpose? To you and I. That's it, my man. We were that purpose. And did he do it perfectly? So what does that perfection look like? What should it look like? And we have these crazy ideas of what it looks like, right? Like I said last night, these angel wings and rainbows and skittles. <laughs> or something. <laughs> when perfection looks like love, that is, that is the evidence. That is, because God is love. <laughs> so this genuine, 
friendship, family, husbands and wives just head over heels in love with each other. <laughs> Woo! Mm-hmm. Loving the unlovable. <laughs> Loving the ones that seemingly don't deserve it. <laughs> you know, pouring your heart out in the purse of the poor. And that's love, isn't that love? It's, that is the manifestation of fullness. That is what it looks like. That's what the expression looks like. <laughs> you know, and the experiential stuff it follows, right? The, the Bible says that, that signs and wonders will follow something. What are they following? The preaching of the gospel. <laughs> What is the gospel? I, see, it's so crazy because many of us, if we try to nail down what is the gospel, what am I preaching, we, we would be at a loss for words. We have, would have no idea what it is. But the gospel is good news. It's like good news. It's a declaration that humankind has been rescued. Not will be, not someday, not that he saved us from hell and we get to go to heaven and all these good glorious things, that, those are all great. But what the declaration of the gospel is, is that God was in Christ reconciling the whole world to himself. <laughs> and that whole world is this whole world. <laughs> look out the window. Reconciled. Why doesn't it look like it? I don't know. Go tell them. Just tell them. Start telling them. Maybe we have these tactics wrong. Brother, would you like to believe that you've been reconciled? Would you like to receive the gospel? The gospel doesn't have to be received. The gospel, you were received into Jesus. The reception was you into him, not him into you. You understand? You get it backwards here. He received you into himself. We don't receive him. I'm getting excited. So then. Oh man, he received us into himself. Well, brother, you have to believe it. You have to receive it. You have to take it for yourself. <laughs> the reason why most people haven't received the gospel is because they've never heard it. Uh, they've never heard what's happened. In their minds, it's God is really pissed off. And then unless we believe really quickly, he's going to send us to hell. That is the essence of the gospel, mostly, <laughs> in people's minds. You know the easiest evangelism program is this? Sit down with a person and convince them that God likes them. Done. There it is. You won them. Most people don't think that God likes them. Hello. Even believers, we're still. Pray, pray, back. Push, push. God, you like me. Based on your performance, you're okay. Like this, we have this weird mentality. <laughs> he loves you. He's ecstatic about you. You are an ingredient to his happiness. He's betrothed you to the human. He's betrothed himself to the human race. I love when Jesus says, you know, as of uh, when, when Moses lifted up the serpent into the desert. Remember that scripture? Jesus says, 
Like, so, when I lifted up, all men would be drawn to me. The serpent was a bronze serpent. It's made up of two different metals. I think it's like nickel and iron or some kind of, I don't know, somebody who's smarter than I am will figure out those two metals. But when you fuse them together, they cannot be separated. He has united himself with our nature, with our life, lifted it up on the tree of Calvary, crucified it, and healed us from the snake bag. Yes. Be persuaded. <laughs> Be persuaded. Just give up. This is real simple, right? Faith is, I give up. Faith isn't like this, this extreme muscular like flexing of the human will. <laughs> That's what we've calculated faith to be, the flexing of the human will. But it's actually the giving up in the human will. It's giving up. It's the exhale. It's the, I give up. <sighs> I can't do this. <laughs> the true flavor of faith is rest. It's chill. It's chillax. It's, it's, ah. <laughs> And when God rested, it wasn't because he was tired. It was because he was finished. It's done. <laughs> yeah. And that's the same reason why we can rest and trust in Jesus. Because it is finished. <laughs> it was finished before it was started. We were home before we left. <laughs> it's so good. We were, we were lifted before we fell. There was a plan in place. You know, like I said last night, the amazing confidence of God himself in himself. To, to be singing in the garden after this great fall of man. Just chilling. He sounds like it was a... I did that one time in Turkey. <laughs> And I'll tell you a quick story. So I was in Turkey. We do a lot of missions and a lot of cool stuff. Um, and we were in Turkey, and I was just playing my guitar, and I love, like, the cultures and everything. And I see this minaret. Is there minarets here in South Africa? Yeah, okay, whatever. So there's these minarets. They're like little pointy, like, dunce caps, right? And you can walk up them, and there's where the imams just, like, do their thing. That's what they do. And so I, I had this crazy idea. I wouldn't do that. So I grabbed my guitar, but I asked for permission. I said, hey man, can I go up there? He's like, whatever. And I was like, cool. So I, I walked up the minaret, right? I started just like playing my guitar. I was just lost, like. I don't know, like two or three minutes, just boom, gone. <laughs> it's been so much fun. Because it takes up a lot of guts to do that and you get a big buzz, you know? <laughs> so I get up to the top. I'm singing, just having so much fun. I open my eyes, right? And the rest of the team is like... <laughs> See, so much... And all of a sudden, I see at the bottom of the minaret these guys with rocks, and they were about ready to stone me. So I walked down really quickly, and I dropped my guitar, and I hugged them. And they just went. <laughs> they, they, dropped, they dropped the rocks, and it was, that was it. 
And I realized the power of just goofiness and joy and love. It's like it disarms enemies. <laughs> we should just have like nations, like a hugging conference. Palestine. Come together and hug. The power of joy, the power of just childlike faith. There's power in it. <laughs> the Bible says, imitate the Lord as a dearly beloved child. Yeah. Right? And I, I come to think of that as God himself is childlike. <laughs> so we're imitating him <laughs> like a child. God is so chill. You know, he's so relaxed. The Trinity is so relaxed, confident that this plan He's, he's not the, up in heaven worried, what am I going to do? Oh, Jesus, the economy is crazy. Ah, I'm freaking out. Like, he's confident that he's rescued the human race. And he's confident in his sons and his daughters to give it away to the force of the poor, to give it away, to go down the streets, go down the streets of Woodstock and just laugh. And just, like, love people and bring them into a family. Do you know what I mean? He's confident in his power and his love. He's confident in his gospel. And you know what? He, we need to become confident in the gospel. We need to become confident that he has rescued us. That he has lifted us. <laughs> we find so much identity sometimes in what we're not. Well, I'm not this yet, brother, but I'm working at it. You know, well, That's like this self-justification, like at least I'm working at it. Like that is, I'm telling you, that is a demonic doctrine. Who needs demons when you have doctrines of demons? Like they don't have to do anything. Just a few doctrines, they're out there. It's crazy. <laughs> the doctrines of demons is that you can actually pursue him, that you could pursue, that you can attempt to gain his favor by your performance. <laughs> no one says it that black and white, but that is how black and white it really is. The gospel is about his performance, about Jesus and what he has done once and for all. Yeah. <laughs> once and for all. That's my motto, once and for all. It's a scripture's motto, once and for all. He died once and for all. For how many people? All mankind. <laughs> Woo! So we find identity in our lack. The same as Adam. I'm naked. I'm lacking. I'm hiding. We hide. You know, we feel like we're not worthy. <laughs> but the point of the gospel is to show you that you are, you are made worthy. In fact, he thought you were worthy to humble himself into a human being. And the greatness of God is not that he fills the heavens and the heavens and the earth can't contain him. The greatness of God is that he humbled himself into the form of a human being. And he was made incarnate. He was made in flesh. That when God was made man, he was made all men. <laughs> it's amazing. C.S. Lewis said, in the, the greatness is not that he fills this, the universe. The greatness is that he fills all of himself can fit in the, the smallest seed of the smallest flower. In that, he's great. <laughs> True sainthood lies in being able to see God in the small. In the small. 
in your family, in your marriage, in hanging out with your friends, going to the pub and having a drink with your buddy. Can you see God there? Can you, can you feel the presence of the Lord? Can you understand that you're in the presence yeah. of glory? <laughs> Yo. Now how do I do it? Yo. 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 Oh, man. So I'm just, I know, I, I, I always do this. I just go all over the place. And spit. Are you having fun? Are you getting anything? You feel like you're connecting? Good, 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 good. Whew. I'm having so much fun. So, so we see in the scriptures, right, it's really clear that when he died, we died, right? Second or, yeah, Second Corinthians chapter 5, we see that in his one death, all, all of humanity has died. In Galatians 2.20, I have been, there it is, co-crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ lives inside of me. The life I live, I live by faith. In, in the Son of God or of the Son of God. I love King James in that instance because it says, I live by the faith of the Son of God. <laughs> That's cool. Because I'm living by His faithfulness, not by my faithfulness. I'm living by His performance, not my performance. I'm living by His goodness, not mine. <laughs> Make sense? And so don't be afraid of, of this confidence that you can have as a son and daughter. Don't be afraid of, of saying crazy statements like, I'm perfect. <laughs> I dare you to say it right now. I dare you. It's easy. Chill. But then you might say, What about that? What about that? I kicked my dog. I spit on my grandma. Whatever it is. I mean, you didn't spit on your grandma, but whatever it is. Perfection, remember perfection, lacking nothing from your purpose and design. What was our purpose and design? The Westminster Catechism, remember? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Or to glorify God by enjoying Him. Yeah. You mean my purpose isn't to be an amazing evangelist, pastor, teacher. Is that my purpose? Is that your purpose? No. Your purpose is to enjoy God and glorify Him forever. <laughs> and in that, I'm telling you, my friends, in that you'll find your destiny. It'll all it'll just it'll unfold. The red carpet will just roll out before you. And you trust and you're confident that my job on earth is to, to glorify God by enjoying Him. <laughs> But we've been told opposite, of course. There's the opposite that has been told us. And that to preach the gospel, you have to sometimes tell people what is not the gospel. <laughs> and we've been told that our job in life is to win our city and to create revival and heal the sick and do all these crazy things or whatever. All those are yeses, of course. Yes, you're, you're called to do that. But the way that you do that is not by pursuing those things. You actually trust in the enjoyment of God, and those things happen. It happens. You understand? And yes, we're intentional, of course. I mean, think about the Apostle Paul. The man was a grace maniac. Grace crazy. He went loopy. <laughs> he was awesome. He says, if I'm out of my mind, you know, 
Festus said, Paul, your much reading has made you insane. <laughs> and Festus said, remember? So Paul was just a raving madman, a lunatic, just the <laughs> preaching the gospel. Yet, he went to more places. He says that I worked harder than all the apostles put together. <laughs> the confidence of that man to say that, he says, yet not I, but the superhuman energy of God inside of me. Ben, what do you do? I just do more than everybody. It's so weird to say that, you know. But I'm, I'm trying to, to show you that grace actually has an, an outflow. Grace is a river. It's like an explosion. You can't just, you know, believe in grace and trust in grace and just, you know, live out your daily life and just, you know, be okay with it. It changes things. You begin to see the world differently. You see your family differently. You see the poor differently. You see life differently. You see music differently. You see worship differently. You see the scriptures differently. It just changes everything. And it gives you a passion, a consuming fire to preach the gospel. And you can't help it. Paul said, what would be if I don't preach the gospel? Not God's going to whip him if he doesn't. He just said, I got to do it or I'm going to explode. I'm possessed by the message and I have to let it out. It has to be communicated. <laughs> I, everywhere I go, I warn every man. You know what he's warning them? He's warning them against self-effort. He's warning them against doing it themselves. He's warning them against do-it-yourself doctrine, demonic doctrine. <laughs> That's the true warning. There is a heavy-duty warning going on in the scripture. And the warning is don't trust in yourself, homeboy. <laughs> trust in Jesus. Yeah. And now, you know, I want, to, I want to be able to express and to explain all these, these questions in our minds because immediately when I say something like that, one verse will pop up in your head. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Right? Have you heard of that verse? Of course. Has anyone ever figured out that verse? Have we ever read the bottom half? What happens right after that? Does anybody, can anybody help me? Keep going. That's about where everybody stops, isn't it? What? Because that's what we're told. That's what goes into our ears and it stops. And we're never told, but it is God. It's not you doing it, but it's God all the while giving you the impulse and the desire inside of you. I'll read it for you. Shall we read it? Is it okay to do that? I don't know. This is beautiful. This is brilliant. This is brilliant. So, the cool thing about the scriptures is that we should be able to read it in context. This wasn't just written to us, and we could take a piece of scripture out and just, you know, preach it all day long. This is written to real people in a real time period, to a real church, to a real community who's having real problems. You know, this was written to somebody for a single purpose. Yes, we can also take purpose from it. We can also draw nourishment and, and amazing insight in the scriptures, but we first have to understand that this is written to somebody First of all, who wasn't you, right? This is written to Philippi. You know, the Philippian, Philippian church was the only church the Apostle Paul himself started. It's the only one. The others, he went there, he preached, he taught, he was a, an amazing apostle. But the Philippian church was like his children. Like, he says in Corinthians that the Philippian church is the only church that financially supported him. Has anyone ever read that before? Yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The only financial support, not because the other churches were stingy by far, I think that he was just taken care of more than enough by his, this own precious little sweet church of his. 
in Philippi. So does anyone know where Philippians was written from? It's the last book of the Apostle Paul. It's his final letter, okay? And it's written from prison. <laughs> He's writing in prison. Now, I'm painting the picture for you, okay? He's writing in prison. These are his precious, beloved children. And he's, he knows in his mind he's either going to be number one, sentenced to death, or sentenced to life in prison. And he will never be able to return to preach to these guys. All right? Imagine how that would feel if you're a pastor or if you have just some kind of, whatever, if you have a spiritual child, you know, a spiritual son in the Lord. Imagine what it would be like. What would you say if it was the last thing that you were going to say to them? <laughs> this is what the Philippian letter is saying. This is the final thing. Right? This is what he's trying to, to, to bust into their minds. Does it make sense? So again, I'll repeat the background. He's writing it from prison. It's in Rome. He knows that either one, he's going to be sentenced to death, or he's going to be sentenced to life in prison. He's never going to return, and he knows that. And this is his only church that he started himself, and his only financial supporter. These are, these are his dogs. You know what I mean? These are his homeboys. These are his sons and daughters in the Lord, and he's, he's precious, like they're precious to him. So he's, he's, you know, it's called the, the letter of joy, you know. It's brilliant. <laughs> so this is what he says in Philippians chapter 12, uh, 2, verse 12. He says, therefore, my dear ones, now this is going to start making sense to you, as you've always obeyed my the suggestions, um, so now not only with the enthusiasm that you would show when I'm there, but even more so when I'm gone. Okay, so now this is, coming to this glorious conclusion. He knows that he's never going to come back. He, you know, he's going to preach the gospel. When he preached the gospel to them, they were loving it. Yeah, Papa Paul's here. It's awesome. We love this. And he's saying, don't just show the enthusiasm when I'm there, but there's something going to happen. You're going to have to learn how to drink for this from this well yourselves, right? He goes on to say, um, uh, don't always, don't just throw the uh, enthusiasm as you would when I'm there. But also, much more when I'm, at, when I'm absent, cultivate and fully complete your own salvation with reverence, awe, trembling, and self-distrust. Oh. <laughs> 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 Woo! I love it! I love it, I love it, I love it. Okay, let's just go slow again. Therefore, my dear ones, as you've always obeyed my suggestions, so now... Not only with the enthusiasm that you would show in my presence, but much more because I'm absent, cultivate, carry out to the goal, and fully complete your salvation with reverence, awe, and trembling self-distrust. With serious caution. Caution at what? In trusting yourself. Fearing what? Trusting yourself. Trembling at what? God? Do you see how that trembling, that fear has always, we've always thought that it should be directed towards the Lord. It's actually this fear and trembling is directed towards trusting in yourself. Yeah. Oh, man. Doesn't stop. It does not stop there. Not in your own strength. For it is God who is all the while effectually at work in you, energizing and creating in you the power and the desire to both will and work for his good pleasure and his satisfaction. Yeah. Isn't that brilliant? So we've always thought this verse is saying, work out. It's like this, this anti-gospel, anti-grace. It was like this, the balance in our minds. Well, grace has to be balanced, brother. Yeah, the balance, 
we should be balanced between life and death, right? Just to be half and half, or black and white. You know, just be right in the middle, or you know, uh, law and grace. You're just the safest spot is right in the middle. No, it's death. <laughs> it's lukewarm. It's I'll spit you out. <laughs> Hello. Are we here? Are we with me? Are you with me? Are you getting understanding this. Let's read it again. I want to read it until we understand it. Background. Again, Apostle Paul, final letter. He's in prison. He's either going to be sentenced to death or he's going to be sentenced to life in prison. And he's writing his precious children. He's never going to come again. They can't rely on him anymore to preach to them, to teach them. and to. They can't grow from him anymore. He's never going to be able to talk to them. He's telling them in the essence of what he's saying. He's saying, you have to trust in the well of God inside of you. You have to trust that God is in you performing this salvation. What you should fear, there is a warning that he's given. You should fear trusting in yourself. Amazing, amazing. The fear, the trembling is not towards the Lord. It's towards doing it in your own effort. I'll read it again. I'll read it again. Therefore, my dear ones, you have always obeyed my suggestions. So now, not only with the enthusiasm you would show in my presence, but much more because I'm absent. Work out, cultivate, carry to the goal, fully complete your own salvation with reverence and awe and trembling self-distrust. Amplified Bible. With serious caution, tenderness, and uh, watchfulness against temptation, timidly shrinking from whatever might offend God and discredit the name of Christ. Not in your own strength. Say it with me. Not in your own strength. For it is who? It is God. All the while, effectually at work in you, energizing and creating in you the power and the desire to both will and to work for his good pleasure and satisfaction and delight. It's so brilliant. It's brilliant. So that helps us. That helps us understand this, this world of grace that we're, that we're in. Does that settle a question? Does it settle yeah, yeah. That, that thing in our minds, the working out? There's always this question. Well, that scripture said, work out your own salvation. So either God did it, I'm supposed to do it. Maybe it's a little bit of both. <laughs> well, we're actually, do you understand that the warning, is that pretty serious as well? The warning is very heavy. The warning is don't do it in yourselves. Don't, don't trust in your own efforts. You know, but how many times do we, do we find that, you know, the messages come from a different place, you know, a different spirit. Like, if you fast, then you'll get your breakthrough. Or if you do something, it could be anything, even good things. But I, I showed you last night that even good things, when trusted in, to produce some kind of godliness, some righteous, whatever it is, other than God himself, when you trust in that, even that can be an idol. <laughs> even good things can be idols. Isn't that wild? <laughs> Just, for instance, money is not evil. The love of money, when it's used for a different purpose. Do you understand? Does it make sense? It's, you know, we're, we're seeing all these, these ideas. Worship. Worship is not from a place of begging and pushing and pulling and trying to get in. Worship is from this glorious place that you are in Him, that He's in you, that we're one. And you have to express it and sing about it and just enjoy it and celebrate it. Yeah? Yes. Prayer is the same thing. Again, it can be used as a tool to better yourself. 
and to really, you know, make yourself feel justified. I've prayed for 12 hours today. I really feel good about myself, you know. Or you can realize that you're talking to a person, you're hanging out. Prayer is simply hanging out with Jesus, communicating with Him. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to gauge where you are. Are you with me? Do we believe in the person we're praying to? <laughs> I hope so. I sure hope so. I, you know, I'm sorry if, if it's a bit abrasive or offensive, but that is the nature of the gospel, my friends. It's the nature, it's the power of the gospel. It has to shake us from our idols. Yeah. Ah! <laughs> you! It's actually out of love and, and pleasure that he shakes us yeah. from these idols because he, he wants us to trust in nothing but himself. Yeah, yeah and, and there is, like I said, an expression you know, we get these perverted ideas of grace, and, and most pastors are actually so afraid of, to preach grace because in their minds they've heard all the, the horror stories. Well, my church stopped tithing, they stopped, you know, the moment I preached grace, everybody uh, left. <laughs> everybody left and stopped working, no volunteers, it just turned into a mess, so I might as well just keep preaching law, keep the machine running. Ah! Oh, it's just, it's the reality of the situation, you know. Not here, of course. No, 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 not here. But that's the horror stories because grace is also misrepresented. Grace is the divine influence upon the heart of man. The Strong's Concordance defines it as the divine influence upon the heart of man. In our minds, we think, well, it's just to pick me up. People can do whatever they want to do, and God's okay with it. That's not what grace is. That's, that's some weird, perverted, twisted thing that is not called grace. Grace is not to pick me up when you fall. Grace is to keep you from falling. It's the influence. There's something influencing you. Some kind of life going through you. Keeping you on the holy moral road. Righteous road. Are you with me? We're serving him not out of duty, but out of desire. I'm serving him not out of fear. I'm not being moral because I'm afraid of hell. I'm being moral because there's pleasure in morality. There's pleasure in righteousness. There's joy in doing what he says. The goosebumps is talking about it. It's the joy. The joy of it. There's pleasure in righteousness. There's ecstasy in it. You see, you see, you can do the same things, behave the same way, but under a different spirit. And it's not called Christianity, my friends. It's called something else. I don't know what the name of it is. But it's not Christianity. You can be the most moral. Do you know Christianity is not about morality? That is not the end all of Christianity. It's to make someone moral. You know, get them off the streets, get them off drugs, get them moral and happy on the right road. Boom, there it is. They're moral. No. Christianity is about... Filling someone with a desire to do what is right, to, to live this holy, ecstatic life for the pleasure of doing it. <laughs> you obey, what does the scripture say? We obey out of love. Love. Wait, was it, who said it? If you love me, you'll, you'll obey. It's Yeshua. <laughs> Not if you fear me, you'll do what I say. <laughs> you understand? Like, like I don't, uh, do what my wife tells me to do because I'm afraid of her. <laughs> Maybe I no, okay, 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 okay. That's a bad example, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. American. So 
Yeah, yeah. So, but we actually obey out of love, you know. We, we do things for each other out of love, out of the pleasure of doing it. It's the same thing. Every principle, every discipline in Christianity can be chalked up to either a work under one desire or a pleasure uh, in another. <laughs> same things can be done. And you can be under a different spirit doing the same things. <laughs> With different consequences. Do you know, I saw in the scriptures, everybody wants to talk about hell and judgment and um, this crazy idea of God coming to judge the world. You know, I read in Hebrews, I believe it's chapter 9 or 10, he says he's coming a second time, a second time, a second time. Let's read it. Just I don't know, it's just so you don't think I'm making it up. Is that cool? It's going to take me a moment to find it. It's in Hebrews. Chapter 9 and 10. Scrolling. While I'm trying to find the scripture, you should lay a big wet kiss on your neighbor. Freaking out. Okay, here we go. Okay, let's get serious now. Come on, serious. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Hebrews 9. 9.28. This is brilliant. Even so, it is that Christ, having been offered to take upon himself and, the, and bear as a burden the sins of the many, once and once for all, he will appear a second time. How many people are excited about the appearing of our Lord? It's going to be awesome. But let's see what he's going to do. He will appear a second time, not to carry out any burden of sin, nor to deal with sin. <laughs> we think he's coming with this big judgment rod. He's going to spank everybody. We're going to go, I'm bad. I'm good. You're bad. Spank, spank. Lord, he was bad. He was bad. Spank him and him. I'll definitely get him. Spank him. Like, that's what we think. He's coming to judge the world. He did it. He judged. The judgment was once and for all in the tree of Calvary. Jesus said, now is the judgment. He was going to the tree of Calvary. He's coming back once again, not to carry any burden of sin, nor to deal with sin, but to bring full salvation to those who are eagerly and constantly awaiting him. He's coming to make known, to make manifest what we are. The Bible says it's like fenaruo, the Greek word. It's like making manifest. What we are is hidden in Christ, but when he's revealed, we're revealed. Don't get revealed. Anyways. So we have these ideas of judgment, and we so love it because it, it puts up this wall of partition in between us and the world, and we think it's you, there is no difference. <laughs> you are redeemed by grace. They're redeemed by grace. Someone told you, you accidentally believed. <laughs> Never forgot me. Never forgot me. <laughs> I mean, you really think about it, right? What happened the first, maybe you grew up Christian, I don't know. I didn't grow up a believer. And what happened to me 
it's probably similar to what happened to you, is one moment someone told me about Jesus and what he has already done for me. It was already finished. He told me that his blood was already shed, that forgiveness was already mine, that Christ was already crucified, that I was already crucified with him, that I was buried with him. Do you understand? People are reporting, when you tell someone the gospel, you're reporting something that's already happened. It's not like, right here, I offer you forgiveness, brother, if you accept it. <laughs> forgiveness was laid out like a blanket on a human race. <sighs> Finished. Done. And our job is not to offer it, but to declare it. To tell someone, to convince them, to persuade them. Say, God's befriended you. I mean, I'm quoting scripture here. God has befriended you. Be his friend. Don't you want to be his friend? He's already your friend. He's not counting your sin against you. It's opposite of believe, repent, and really feel sorry for your sin, and then you get forgiveness. You know, repentance is not the prerequisite. It's actually the fruit of salvation. Well, I don't know about that, brother. How do you repent? How do you turn to God if you're completely evil, completely filled with depravity? How is that possible? How do you turn to the Lord? You're unable to turn without Him turning you. You cannot. Repent. Repentance is a fruit of Him turning you towards Himself. Prime example, prodigal son. Right? He's just takes dad's money, buys an Escalade, or you don't have Escalades here, too much gas, American cars. Okay, uh, he buys this big Ferrari, he goes out, spends all his money on crack and prostitutes, <laughs> just spends the wealth, parties away, and he doesn't turn back to his father because he felt bad, you understand? He turned because he was out of cash. <laughs> He's like, this sucks! <laughs> brilliant idea. I'll just go home, and this is what I'll say. Like He devises this repentance plan, right? I'll say, I'm not worthy to be your son, but he knows deep down that his father is really good. He's going to immediately take him as a son, but he's going to work his way back up to being, he says, I'm not worthy to be a son, but let me be a slave in your house. But in his mind, he's thinking, I can be a slave, then I can work my way up a little bit more, then I can work my way back up. But then we see the this, this story moves on. Before a word comes out of the son's mouth, the father runs to him. Before repentance happens, the father runs to him, hugs him, kisses him, puts his shoes on his feet, puts a ring on his finger, and says, you are my son, you were dead, and now you're alive. Yes. Before repentance. Yeah. <laughs> Slaughter that fatty calf. Robert Capone says that that is one of the best scriptural images of Jesus that we have in the parables. The fatted calf, who stands around all day long for one purpose, to be slaughtered so we can have a party. <laughs> Woo! I mean, think about it. All the parables of the kingdom are parties. Every single one of them. God is working. Oh, we're workers. What are we working? A vineyard. Well, why is God making wine? Because he wants to get everybody hammered drunk. You see these, it all starts making sense. Wow. 
we're, we're really serious workers. Work is in what? A vineyard? God's business is wine making, joy making, partying. Hello? Every time one of the, you know, the shepherd finds his lost sheep, what happens? Party! The widow finds the lost corn, what a party! <laughs> Every parable of the kingdom of heaven is a party. Everyone! Very quickly, we're realizing this whole thing is about one thing. Party. In the vineyard, working, working, working. God is just like, dude, just hang out, chill out, you know, taste a little bit. Taste as you go. Learn something from the, the Benedictine monks. <laughs> they used to taste as they made, you know. <laughs> they were, they had, you ever heard of the monk's portion? Right? It's like something like a gallon of beer a day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know that the that the Benedictine monks were so brilliant at winemaking that they could taste the soil and know how the wine was going to turn out. It's just brilliant. It's so good. Winemaking, man. Look, here now I'm preaching my other book, my weirder book. The one that's all about wine. Heaven's wine, no real one. Real wine. Happy wine. It's all real, of course. So, have you heard of that book, Land, Wine, Divine Comedy? Okay, it's a little weird. I'm just trying to bring out the, again, what I said is that true sainthood lies in being able to see God in the small, in the, in the little things. It's one thing to see Jesus turn water into wine. It's another thing to take a glass of wine and say, here works the same God who worked at Cana. Through the same process. C.S. Lewis said that miracles are happening all the time. <laughs> that everything is a miracle. We just get numb to it. We get numb to the miracle of a man and a wife having a baby. Yeah. That's crazy. We get numb to, the, to this feeling of, uh, we just think it's normal, falling in love. <laughs> Has anyone ever fallen in love? Being a believer is a lot like falling in love. See, now I'm getting real artistic. It's, it goes against your better judgment. <laughs> you cannot stop. You can't stop thinking about it. It possesses, it takes over. Has anyone ever felt that way about a person? Yeah. We think that this is just normal. It's just, you know, human, human chemicals. You know, this chemical is popping in your brain and this other chemical is popping in her brain. It's just like, ah, chemical love. <laughs> but it's not. It's supernatural. It's a man meets someone who they're destined and designed to be with for the rest of their life, who complete each other. <laughs> the same with Jesus. He completes you. He makes you whole. He makes you righteous. He, he makes you. He woos you beyond your better judgment. Sometimes you don't want to, but you can't help it. That's what it is. That's what salvation is like. <laughs>
I'm preaching myself very happy right now. <laughs> I guess I'm on the parables. So we're talking about the parables of the kingdom. Are all party parables and the parables of judgment are always towards the self-righteous. Isn't that wild? Never towards the sinner. Always towards the person who, okay, the sheep and the goats. The sheep and the goats. Or, you know, how about the ones that say, you know, we, we always hear these scriptures, we just throw it out because we love hell so much. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will be saved. And it's like, that's our flagship doctrine. <laughs> but you know what they're saying? They said, Lord, Lord, I've done, I prophesied in your name. I've done this stuff in your name. Immediately, what happens is they start spouting off everything that they've done. They, in their minds, they belong there because of their works. <laughs> and he says, I don't even know who you are, home skillet. I don't know who you are. Who are you? Because, oh, you did all this in my name. I didn't see. <laughs> Gabriel, get the tapes out. Like, sorry, buddy. <laughs> you understand? That's why there is a, this warning of judgment. Yeah, the warning is serious, but it's serious towards us demanding to be in his presence based on our performance, based on what we've done. Immediately, I prophesied your name. I've done this. Lord, we've cast out devils in your name. We've done this. He says, I don't know who you are. The true believers are saying, how do we get here? They want to be isolated. They want to be left alone. They want to be by themselves. And you can see this happening even now. It's like the desire to be finally free from the dangers of love. <laughs> you know, it takes vulnerability to, to be a part of a community. It takes, like, being able to be okay with being hurt every once in a while. <laughs> you know, but they're, they're closed off, isolated. We're going to be by ourselves. We're going to do our own thing. And they, boom, thousands of the people that have been there. So, the, you know, the, he shows the story of Napoleon thousands of miles out. It's wild. But, but every once in a while, they get um, vacations, right? And you can choose. You can either go to heaven on this bus for a vacation from hell, or you can go to earth and haunt people, right? So it's funny. 
So they take this bus and they fly from hell. And C.S. Lewis is kind of observing. You know, he's telling this story. He's observing everything that's going on. They're flying from hell. They finally get to heaven. They get out. And he cannot even walk in the grass because everything is so real. And everybody that was from hell looks transparent. It's just like they've lost true existence. They've lost themselves. They've lost true, the true essence of life and humanity. And the, even the grass, the, the, the real chill, sweet grass just hurts so much. It's wild. And then he goes through all these stories, and these believers who are in heaven come, and they meet these people at the bus, and some of them are, have had relationships throughout their earthly lives, and they convince, they're trying to convince them to, to come into heaven, but they don't want to. See, it's listed, the doors of hell are locked from the inside. <laughs> locked from the inside. The very presence of the Lord is the, is the very same torture. It's like, have you ever been in a meeting where joy has been a bit torture for some religious people, right? It's the same principle. It's the same thing. See, so he's making this whole point throughout this whole book that each day we're faced with not something as you know, black and white as a choice, but we're faced with these opportunities each day to go towards our purpose, to do what we want to do and to do our own desires, or we go towards joy and following joy. <laughs> because ultimately, that's where this whole thing ends up, in extreme measures of joy in the heavenlies. And this, is, this is our eternal destiny. Earth will be a blimp. It will be a, like a blip on your, on your consciousness. You know, it's a breath, like a vapor. Eternity is joy. It, for all eternity, we'll be in, in enjoyment with yeah. the Lord. Wow. Ah, so these guys in mm, so these guys in in heaven are trying to persuade these guys. Come on in, come to the mountains with us. Stay with us. You're welcome here. And it's crazy the retorts, the objections that come from the unbelievers, the guys from hell. They say, I don't want his grace. One, one guy says, look, I've just worked all my life. I've worked really hard. I don't need anybody's charity. I just want one's coming to me. I, you know, I was moral. I did my thing. I didn't hurt anybody. And the guy that's convincing him to stay in heaven was a murderer in earth, but he was in heaven. He was forgiven. He's like, I don't see how you're here, allowed here, and I'm not. He's like, I'm not a murderer. I've never done this. And, and the, he's like demanding what his wages. He's demanding what's owed to him. And the guy in heaven is saying, no, you don't. What's owed to you? You, you need the grace of God. Ah. Another person, this lady, her whole job in her life, she thought it was to take care of her husband. But then her husband passed away. And so she lost her sense of purpose and destiny, but she still, you know, clung to that thing. So much so that she went to heaven, her husband met her, and said, hey, just give it up. I don't need taken care of. I'm taken care of already here. You can find your true purpose now, which is enjoyment, which is joy. Your purpose in life is joy, not taking care of me. Do you understand? And she clung to that identity, that purpose, so much so that she would be willing to pull her husband down into hell with her so she could still have her purpose. So you see the warnings. It's not just, you know, blatant immorality or moralism. You know, it's clinging to something when there's no joy in it. When the joy is departed and you still hang on, 
That's the danger zone. <laughs> when you're a Christian, and there's no joy in it, there's no pleasure in it. It's just duty. <laughs> the English word, not the, yeah. It's just you're doing it out of duty instead of pleasure. You understand? Oh, there is a danger. <laughs> it's so dangerous. This is, and it's the same thing I keep seeing in the Apostle Paul. He's warning, he's warning against self-righteousness, against self-trust, against finding your identity in yourself instead of finding your identity in Christ. You with me? Wow. So all these parables just, you know, mimic that. All these, these so brilliant, so brilliantly. Because the parable of the prodigal son is also, it's a parable of grace. It's a parable of the kingdom of heaven as a party. It's also a parable of judgment in that the elder brother refuses to join the party. It's the same thing as, as the C.S. Lewis book. They refuse to join the joy. They refuse. Why? Because he's the elder brother. I've never wanted sin out like this. I, I just want what's coming to me. I just want to do my thing, you know? I read Capone, Robert Capone, he's a brilliant theologian, and he says that the elder brother had, obviously, you know, all the resources at all the time. He could have slaughtered the fatted calf at any moment. He was just a cheapskate. <laughs> That's why he did it. The whole thing was the elder brothers. He gave it, the father gave it, gave it up. <laughs> Isn't that wild? But he refused. Now, the story ends right there, abruptly. We never know. All we see is that the father and the elder brother are talking, and the father is, is imploring the elder brother to come and enjoy the party. For me, that is heaven and hell. There it is. It's the divide between heaven and hell. The father is not casting him into this world of uh, condemnation. It's self-help, self unwilling to let go and give up and trust in someone else. He's trusting in his own job, in his own destiny, in his own life, instead of trusting in Jesus. You have to realize that Jesus is, number one, our Savior. <laughs> what does that mean? That means He saves you because you cannot save yourself. That you actually have to call out and cry out and say, Yeshua, save me because I can't do this. But somewhere along the line, religion likes to trick us and makes us think, well, I can put these pieces back together. I can do this myself. I can sew these tattered rags. But there's great examples and great parables, again, about that. You can't put new wine in an old wineskin. But new wine has to be put in a new wine skin. You, you can't put a new piece of cloth in an old garment. You can't fix this thing that's broken. You understand? We have this fix-it mentality. I can fix it. I can do this. I can do this. And God is all the while saying, man, just throw it away. Give up the right to your own life. And trust in me, and you will find life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't cling to the right to your own existence joyfully just go <laughs> and, and come into true life come into true existence what time is it? 12 o'clock I don't want to stop do I have to stop? I'm going to keep going so our, I want to make sure that we're all on the same page do, we see, do you see what I'm, I'm communicating trying to communicate here that grace is number one. Yes, it's enjoyment. It's a party. It's a festival. But on the other hand, there's also a serious warning towards self-righteousness. It's not a warning towards the sinner. It's a warning towards the self-righteous. Jesus 
caught the one, I mean, she's caught in, a, right, the act of adultery, isn't that the story? She's caught. And what does he say? I don't condemn you. <laughs> I don't condemn you. Just go and sin no more. Just, like, that's how easy it was for Jesus to settle the deal. I don't condemn, all these guys condemn you? I don't. And I'm the opinion that matters. I don't condemn you. Go with that same spirit, this non-condemnation spirit, and sin no more. That's grace. <laughs> oh, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. I'm already on heaven and hell. It's crazy. So it's, it's it, what's actually mind-boggling to me is that the gospel has been like boiled down to this perverted idea of of heaven and hell. It's like that's the message. Heaven and hell is the gospel. That's not the gospel, my friends. The gospel is a relationship with Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm sorry for quoting C.S. Lewis all the time. He's just one of my heroes, and I read so much of C.S. Lewis. He said that the idea of heaven and hell is no different. It has more to do with your welfare, your well-being. It's not a religious subject. It's like eating healthy. <laughs> it has to do with you and your welfare, but Christianity is about God. It's about Jesus. It's about our, our relationship with Him, not our eternal, our eternal welfare. Do you understand? You trust in Him and you will live. You don't trust in Him and you refuse to do it, you will not have life. <laughs> oh, man. It's getting nice and creepy in here, isn't it? You know, but you have to take what I'm saying in a, in a non-condemnation way. You have to, to say, okay, if this is stretching me, if this is like shaking me up a little bit and what I believe, <clears throat> it's number one, because it can be shaken. Number two, it's scripture. And number three, I don't want to cling to my own life. You have to come to that conclusion. I don't want to do this myself. I can't. I'm going to give up. Don't stand, remain in this prideful position, you know. Well, brother, we're all sinners. You know, it keeps us humble. Have, has anyone ever heard the idea that sin is supposed to keep you humble? Have you heard that? Well, we're sinners, and that just keeps us... So sin, okay, let's just, let's observe this idea. Sin, which is pride of life, pride, <laughs> is supposed to humble you. How does that work again? <laughs> The demand to say that you're a sinner and just cling to this sin is supposed to humble you? Really? I don't think so. I think that's the opposite. I think that when you declare that Jesus is your righteousness, that he did what he said he was going to do, was to give me a new heart, take out the stone heart, the sin heart, put a new spirit inside of me, oh! Then I'll keep his ways. You see, Ezekiel chapter 36, 46, I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit. Boom. Do you trust in that? That's humility, true humility. When you confidently say, I'm a son and I'm not a sinner. Because you're not standing on your own foundation. You're standing on his foundation. You're standing on something that's already been laid out before you. And you can have pride, you can trust in this true godly pride. It's being prideful, not in you. It's, that's what the Apostle Paul calls boasting. Let him who boasts, you better boast, but what do we boast about? In the Lord. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. 
Why? Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, I think it's 29. Is it 29? I don't know. Whatever it is. <laughs> Let's go there. Let's do that. Sorry. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I think it's verse 30. Yes. But it is him, from him that you have your life. Say from him. Whom God has made for us our wisdom, <laughs> revealed to us a knowledge of the divine plan of salvation previously hidden, manifesting itself as our righteousness, thus making us upright and putting us in right standing with God as our consecration, making us pure and holy. And he is also our redemption that has provided a ransom eternally from sin. So, let, so it is written, let him boast most of the Lord. <laughs> Sanctification is not a process of becoming holier and holier and little by little. Have you heard that sanctification is a process? That's what I learned in Bible school. It's one of the 16 fundamentals of faith. Sanctification is a process. <laughs> That's just pure idiocy. Because nowhere in the scripture does it say sanctification is a process. It says sanctification is a person. God has made him for us our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. Sanctification is a person. Oh. You get it? Are you with me? Are we, are we understanding this? Well, brother, we're going from glory to glory. I know. Where are we starting again? Oh, where are we going? But where do we start? But where are we going? Oh, you mean we don't start from sinful, you know, unglorious, ungodly? No. The moment you believe and trust and understand this glorious gospel... The, the righteousness of God is just made manifest in you. You start realizing, wow, I can live a holy life. I can do this with the power of Jesus living inside of me. <laughs> and you start at glory. And you go to glory. And everywhere in between is glory. We have this idea we're going from sinful to saint. Slowly, Slowly. Don't go too fast. But how do you get there? If, if it, you're going from sinful to saint, what's the process? Oh, there's multiple processes. Prayer, fasting, worship, keep, you know, do. Do, 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 do. Quickly we have do message. It's all about do and not about done. The gospel is all about something been done. Deep theology. <laughs> See, I'm destined to preach the gospel. It's all been done. <laughs> so he reveals himself. He has to reveal himself to us as our righteousness, as our perfection. Do we grow? Yes. Does that mean that we're not righteous? No. It just means that we're growing in this glorious existence. We're made to grow. Everything grows. That's the principle of life. Everything, one, two things in life. Everything grows, and everything is dependent upon something else. That is life. If you take a tree and you put it in space, apart from all the dependent elements that it needs, like soil, water, sunlight, oxygen, or carbon dioxide, whatever it needs, it will die because it's dependent. That's the principle of life. You look at everything that's living, 
it's dependent upon something else, right? We're dependent upon food, what the food, the ground, the 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 you know Brussels sprouts, whatever. They're dependent upon the the minerals and the nutrients in the soil and sunlight. You know, everything is dependent upon something else, and you just follow this dependence chain all the way up to the Lord, who's holding and sustaining all things in Himself and breathing constant life and constant existence. You realize that we're not living right now based on our you know performance and our works and our and our you know. Try to, like, figure out where your breath is coming from. <laughs> right now, God is at work in us. He's animating us. He's filling us with his life. Ah, I just pray that we become conscious of the activity of God. Because we're constantly begging. I mean, it's so, we have this, such a weird begging mentality. God, come on. We want to be this, we want to be that. Just begging and wanting and crying instead of, Cherishing and thanking and celebrating and enjoying and living and breathing and existing and becoming conscious of this activity of God among us. <laughs> There's constant activity going on. He's animating your heart right now. He's, he's, he's making your organs alive. He's filling your blood cells. He's just, oh. He's breathing life. I love it. When I saw that God breathed life into Adam, <laughs> isn't that cool? Because you could create him out of you know, dirt and whatever elements, but it still takes this crazy element called God to make life happen. Yeah. This may be a little crazy. So, religion, religion, okay, I'm trying to set up these ideas. Religion constantly wants to separate us or to make us think that we're separate from the Lord, that we can do this ourselves, that we can live out this holy life, and that's, that we're here and God is somewhere else far off, and that this distance can be bridged by performance or works or prayers or any good thing or bad thing, whatever it is. I mean, you see it in, in, in the world. The same bridge is trying to be crossed from man to divine pleasure through drugs, alcohol, sex, pleasure. And in church, it's through prayer, worship, fasting, <laughs> and teaching. <laughs> Same thing. Trying to bridge the gap through performance, through desire, through doing something in your own effort to try to fulfill yourself. Right? So religion constantly wants to make you think that you're separate. The gospel is constantly trying to convince you that you're one. You see the major difference? Religion, you're separate. The gospel, you're one. Religion, you're lacking. The gospel, you're full. Too much. <laughs> so much. So that the fullness of the Godhead dwells inside of you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I read that in the scriptures. Colossians. You too are filled with the Godhead. It's not just the Spirit. It's not just Jesus. The Father lives the essence of the Trinity lives inside of it and you live inside of the essence of the Trinity it's this glorious chaotic mess of love <laughs> Woo! you're in him he's in you where's the escape route there isn't one <laughs> you can't get out you try he's enclosed you he's possessed you he's unico he's put you in this strength he's wrapping himself around you and tenderness giving you a belay motive having brought you to this conclusion the name of the one that died of all therefore everybody's died with him ah! 
Religion says, you must pursue God. The gospel says, God has pursued you and caught you. <laughs> Religion says, you must pray, you must fast, you must, you must, you must do. The gospel says, you get to pray. You, wow, you get to worship. You get to give. <laughs> Out of joy, pleasure of doing it. You must be holy, moral, you're going to hell. Religion. The gospel. You have the heavenlies here with you. And you can enjoy it here and now, apart from fear. <laughs> you must wait till you die to get to heaven. When you get rid of this vile body. Have you heard the idea? Well, everybody's a sinner. And we're just going to wait till we die. But when we die, then we'll get to heaven and we'll be finally free from sin. You heard that idea? Finally, when we die, we'll be finally free from sin. Hold on a second. This is a bit weird. Another weird concept that we've made up. The religionists have formed this weird doctrine. Death, which is the wages of sin, is supposed to free you from sin. I see a disconnect there. What you have just done is crown, instead of Jesus, you crown death as your final savior. Because what Jesus could not do, you're saying that death is going to do. But I'm telling you, there's nothing that can free you from the sin of, of, of life except Jesus and his blood. It's more than enough. We trust in him. Hello. Not death. Come on, we really think that death is going to save us. I, I read in the scriptures at least what we can, you know, see of the beginnings of sin in, uh, in Lucifer or whatever. It started a huge sin problem in heaven. <laughs> Big old problem. Right there in heaven. Your body is not the source of sin. It became the instrument of sin. <laughs> That's why Jesus gave his body, so your body could be whole. So your body could actually, I mean, who created you? God. He created this perfect form, this human form. As frail and gentle and dependent as it is, it is perfect. And it's glorious. And when he looks at it, he says, man, this is a masterpiece. You are a masterpiece. Your body is not the enemy. You know, we have these weird ideas, right? My spirit's really good. He's a nice guy. My soul, getting there. My body, forget about it, right? We, we, we make ourselves in these little, little parts. <laughs> my body's evil. My soul's just, he's kind of evil. And my spirit, he's a really nice guy. If you met him, you would love him. <laughs> we just get these weird ideas and we, you are, you, what's your name? What's your name? Maria, you're Maria. Maria is body, soul, spirit, mind, emotions, will, all that. All of Maria has been redeemed by Yeshua. Every part of you. Your, your mind has new thoughts. Your soul, your spirit, your personality, everything has changed about you. Because it's Jesus. Do you understand? Your whole being. Oh, wait, what about man is a triune being? Does it really say that in Scripture? That man is a tripart being? 
slaughter those cows. The Apostle Paul, this is where we get the idea from. The Apostle Paul says, I pray that God will, uh, God will continue spirit, soul, and body as sanctified as you are till the day of his coming. <laughs> the point is not splitting you up into three parts. The point is, what he's saying is that I'm praying that God keeps you in this state of sanctification. All of you, whatever part it is, all of you is sanctified. And I'm praying that that continues and it continues to be conscious in your minds. You understand? It's not to split you up. It's to show you that all of your parts are sanctified. <laughs> With me. Jesus, you know, he makes it like your mind, soul, will, you know, what does he say? He says, love God with your whole heart, soul, mind, will, and strength, or something like that, right? So there's five. It's like, you got my spirit. I mean, we get so confused as Christians. You know, my spirit, my soul, my body, got Jesus in me. I got, I got the devil in me. Ah! You know, I got, I got curses. Oh, my gosh! And I got, and then I got, you know, the Father, and Jesus gets so confused. <laughs> it's mean, schizophrenia. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> can't figure it all out. We heard, like, well, you have Jesus in you, and he's like the nice poodle. And we have the devil. And he's like a devil in a picture. <laughs> and they fight. It's just like craziness. It's a war going on inside you. Oh, whichever dog you feed wins. That's so weird. <laughs> have you heard that before? Come on, be honest. Yeah, you know you have. <laughs> You're not a doghouse. Hello. <laughs> it's so weird. You're the house of God. When God moves in, nothing else can remain. Well, brother, it's outside of me. It's attached to me. It's like any excuse. <laughs> I hear like you gotta break off curses one at a time, all this stuff. I just thought there was one curse. Like, how are you gonna break off every curse? You're gonna have to go all the way back to Grandpappy Adam. <laughs> break off every single thing. And we blame all these sinful problems on grandma, you know. Oh, my grandma, she, you know, had this smoking cigar addiction, so that's me. I gotta smoke cigars. You know, it's grandma's fault. Thanks, grandma. We, we chalk it up to all these generations. I read in the scriptures that we have generational blessing that doesn't end. Ow! Either Jesus took away the curse or he didn't. What, what did he do? He did it! Say Jesus did it. It's just more slaughtering going on. <laughs> you mean it didn't go away when I checked it off on a piece of paper and threw it in the fire? <laughs> All these weird, weird, like, weird programs. Have you ever done this? Yes. Have you done this? Yes. There's not enough paper in this world to check off all the curses that you are a part of. I'm sorry, my friends. It is a never-ending cycle of self-help. You're just going to be just depressed, burnt out all your life until you come to the conclusion that Jesus Christ was made a curse so I could be made blessed. That he became poor so I could become rich. That he died so I could live. so much. It's like, I have this idea in my mind, you know, I'm going to get to heaven one day, right? And Jesus is going to go, man, man, 
you really made me look good out there. I mean, I didn't do half the stuff you said. language, to find how to communicate this to people. How do we communicate this uncommunicable thing? Sometimes you just gotta go, ah! It's just too much joy, too much life, too much pleasure, too much gospel, too much Jesus. feel too good, man, because that would be the devil. <laughs> like, there's one father of pleasure. <laughs> Evil can only pervert things. It can't create. <laughs> there's one father of true pleasure, and his name is Jesus. amazing picture, right, of what religion is and what the gospel is. And the gospel is so good. Mm. And it's okay, like, I can tell some of you have questions. Because there's a big question mark right over your head. You're thinking, this is not the church that I'm used to. And I'm like, no. Thank God. Thank God. I know it's, you know, it's crazy that the gospel has become a foreign language in the church. And, uh, but you know what? The cool thing about it is it's changing. You know, look at you all here. <laughs> you're, all, you're all happy for it. You're all excited about it, you know? Maybe you don't even believe it, but you're still sticking it out. <laughs> it's changing. There's just like people are bored, you know, with religion. It's become so boring. Nobody wants to be a part of it anymore. But what has to happen though is a complete exodus. Not just from the forms of church, but from the ideas and the religious doctrines that held, held us. You understand? A complete exodus. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes maybe there will be a season in your life where you just reevaluate everything. Sometimes we're so scared to ask questions. We're so scared to reevaluate ideas because we're, we're thinking that our doctrine saves us. 
you know? And this is obviously where we get all the, you know, the, the her heresy hunters. It's because they're protecting the church, you know, protecting, gonna protect the church. God is protecting, it's his church. Hello. He's not, he's obviously cool with all kinds of weird stuff going on. He's just not worried about it. You understand? Yes, we're passionate about the gospel and we've gotten this amazing revelation and I'm sure you have as well. We're, we're enjoying that passion to share it. But we're not worried about it. You understand? It's a light-hearted thing. It's because we know that God has to, to make this thing grow. We can plant the seeds. We, someone else can water it. But it's God who causes the increase. <laughs> so, you know, he's just hanging out with all these denominations and all these just, I mean, this crazy stuff, you know, it's really crazy. You know, in America, I'm not sure if you have this, but in America, there's some really, like, I just want to show up because I think it would be a fun day. To go to a like one of these Pentecostal churches where, like, do snake handling and stuff, and it's like, yeah, 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 you know, the, is that over the line? I'm sorry. I just thought it'd be cool to show up one day and just, like, see what it's like, because it's so weird. <laughs> Wouldn't it be a fun day? Just to, but most of us can would never be able to enjoy like observing that because we're so afraid that a snake is gonna jump on us and we're gonna get a demon or something. It's like ah, you know, we're gonna pick up a demon along the way. You walk down the street, pick up a demon. You ride in the cab, pick up a demon. It's like sanitize your seat. You bring anointing oil everywhere you go. It's just like, come on, there's not a demon around every bush. There's Jesus around every bush. Where are we going to sit? Where are we going to start seeing that Jesus is around the corner? <laughs> we have a bigger demonology than we do a Christology. What's your name? Obviously, he's not going to tell you the truth. Hello? Jeremiah. How many are you? Twelve. That's just funny. You take everything so seriously. It's just so serious. Serious. And then we arrive again. The most serious business of heaven is joy. Joy, 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 joy. Yep. It's not frivolous. It's you know, it's, it's not just a piece. It is what we were created for. The, all of this theology that I'm telling you, every last little scripture, is to bring you to a place where you realize that you are filled with joy unspeakable and full of glory. <laughs> to show you that your joy is complete. That you're one with him whose name is Mr. Joy. And it doesn't leave you. It doesn't go away when you leave the meeting. It's just resident in you. It may not always be shaking and flipping and whatever, you know, running around like a wildebeest. But every day you will have a sense of peace and just this overwhelming sense of his presence that you are made right, you know. And there is desire for more. Of course there's desire, but there's desire without disappointment. <laughs> you understand? It's desiring more but not begging for more. It's realizing that you have everything and you're just expecting it like Christmas morning more yeah. bigger presents next year <laughs> you know you see what I mean yeah. Yeah. 
this whole spirit of, of, the, of Christianity just has to flip over into this childlike expression of joy instead of this frowny face, do-it-yourself, boring, rainy day Christianity. <laughs> just like, nobody wants to be a part of that. I, I do not want to be a part of anything like that. <laughs> no. No one, the world, the people don't want to be a part of that. What, there's a search, and the search is for joy. The search is for pleasure. You know? Ah, Jesus. The gospel makes it all real. Just, it, it makes it real again for us. It makes it genuine. <laughs> Just immediately disintegrates all these false little idols and identities and sacred cows. And it just brings us back again to the true essence of life, which is simplicity and joy in Jesus. <laughs> Thankful-hearted life, you know, just like Adam and Eve back to the garden, planting a new tomato garden, just, wow, it's a tomato. Sweet tomato. It's so good. Ooh. Thank you, Jesus, so much for love. Why don't you lift your hands? Or whatever. St. Augustine said, love God and do whatever. <laughs> I like that. Without form. Lord, we thank you for your presence, your goodness, for just bombarding us um, with grace, showing us that we are one, that we are not separate. And maybe, maybe there are some questions and Whatever, just help us, you know, sort through that stuff, Lord. We trust in you. We trust in your power and your goodness and your grace to sort through the questions that we have. And the experiential questions as well. The ones that we're asking, like, why am I not experiencing this every day? Just turn it off. Turn those thoughts off from us, Lord, and help us just enjoy it now. Faith is now. The, the, give us the now faith. <laughs> just to trust it now. Forget about tomorrow. Forget about yesterday. Trusting in the power of salvation now. In Jesus' name, amen. I say, come back at some time. Two, what? What time? Is an hour and a half long enough? Mm. Or too long? Mm. Come back in an hour and a half. So 2.30. Two yeah, okay. 2.30. Cheers.